Welcome to the Restoration Podcast, where we share sermons and discussions and talk about making disciples of all nations. Uh, good morning. Uh, feel free to have a seat. Uh, so today, we are actually going to start a series on the kingdom of God called Kingdom Economics 101. Uh, it'll be way more interesting than any economics class you've ever been in. Um, I generally hated economics classes. Uh, now I'm in. Now we're going to teach on it, but it's going to be cool. Uh, so many of you have heard me talk about the kingdom of God a lot lately. Uh, it's one of those things that I think we have it either neglected or misunderstood in Christianity. Uh, for a long time, we have had a very strong focus on the gospel, which is important and it's huge. But as we see in the New Testament, Jesus and his disciples and even John the Baptist talked a lot about the kingdom of God. In fact, in Luke 10, Jesus says, go, proclaim that the kingdom of God has come near. We talked about, when we were talking about the coming of Christ, we talked about how John the Baptist was telling everybody, hey, the kingdom of God is, on, is at hand, it's coming near. And it's interesting, we talk about the gospel, the atoning work of Jesus, but we don't always talk about the kingdom of God. These two things are directly linked. So when we talk about the gospel, to define the terms clearly, we talk about Jesus' saving work, his atoning death for, our, the, for the payment of our sins, for his resurrection, and then the gospel is saying, like, we're going to believe in all of that and then declare Jesus as our Lord. That's trusting Jesus, and that's what we talk about, getting saved. But the word for Lord that we see in Romans 10, we often use Romans 10, 9 to talk about. In fact, last week I preached on it. We talk about Romans 10, 9 is like, this is the simplest way to describe salvation. You believe and you confess Jesus as your Lord. But the word for Lord in the New Testament is often referred, is used to translate it to king or master. That there's this idea that I'm not just proclaiming that Jesus is God in general, but I am proclaiming that he is God over my life. I am making him my king. Well, if Jesus is my king, then at the moment of salvation, what's happening is not only is my sin debt paid, and now I have the opportunity to be in relationship with God forever, but a part of that now is that I'm operating with Jesus as my leader. He is the one who is in charge, and so I'm living in obedience to him. Thus, I am a part of his kingdom. Everybody with me so far? So in these next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about some key passages. Uh, just kind of set up next week, uh, I'm going to be talking today about the priesthood of all believers. So it's a very important thing that, you, that we engage when we come together, that all of us are contributing in ministry somehow. So I want to give you the opportunity to do that a little bit more. Next week, we're going to talk about Galatians 3.10, um, which is where the Apostle Paul says, hey, in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither rich or poor. In fact, what he's describing is that the social constructs that divide people are transcended in the kingdom of God. Because in Christ, it doesn't matter who is boss and who is employee. It doesn't matter who is rich and who is poor because all ground is equal at the foot of the cross. And we're going to get into the details of how all of the things that are going on in our world where people seem more divided than ever uh, ethnic boundaries or ethnic divisions seem worse than ever. Financial divisions seem worse than ever. But in the kingdom of God, all things are made whole and there is genuine equality. Not just the kind that politicians talk about and try to gain power talking about, but the kind that is in Christ. We're going to get into that next week. In Acts 6, uh, April 17th, we're going to talk about meeting the needs of the poor and widows and so forth. We're going to talk about Acts 10 and deacons and how the church went about meeting needs. And we're going to get into the detail of the kingdom of God as it relates to that. 
And then on April 24th, we're going to talk about Matthew 25, 31, uh, and following maybe some James 2, maybe some Philemon. We're going to talk about visiting the sick and visiting those who are in prison and clothing the naked and giving homes to the homeless. We're going to get into this details of the kingdom of God. Cool? But this week, uh, we also, there's other key passages here, Philippians 2, Matthew 5 through 7. If you want to do some research on the kingdom of God, be studying up on this because we're going to be talking about it. Uh, But this week, we're going to talk about 1 Peter 2 and this concept of the priesthood of all believers. A a quick thing, any of you ever heard this term before, the idea that every believer is a priest? Okay, so a couple of you, but not all of us. How many of you, be honest, is it a little bit of an uncomfortable thing, the idea to like, okay, Dan, you're saying that I'm a priest? That seems really, really weird. Does this mean that I have to be celibate for the rest of my life? Um, good news, it doesn't mean that you that. Um, uh, but there is something very profound about the fact that you are a priest in God's kingdom. So we're going to jump in here to 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, and I'm going to ask Jesus' blessing and anointing on this time as we read the word of God. Lord Jesus, um, we are desperate for you. Uh, as we're talking today, here we have this ministry role that each of us has, but uh, few of us have been trained for it, and even those of us who have realize that all of that training is completely inadequate, and what we need is you. Um, so Jesus, give us a profound understanding of what it means that you are our high priest, and we serve underneath you and simply cling to you. So today, God, give us a deeper understanding of our dependence on you, but also a deep understanding of the authority and role that we have as your priests, that we would proclaim boldly your kingdom, proclaim boldly your gospel of redemption, and that we would offer up spiritual sacrifices as your apostle Peter taught us to do. So Jesus, be with us. Anoint me as I speak. Uh, Illuminate the word of God by your spirit. May we all leave here not merely with understanding, but with action. Uh, that we would go and make disciples. So be with us now in Christ's name. Amen. So 1 Peter 2, uh, we're going to start in verse 5. It says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Uh, A little quick side note. We've talked about the kingdom of God a little bit. We've talked about the church. We've talked about how the church together are a group of living stones that make up the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? We've talked about that in detail. You might not remember, but I promise I preached on that. Um, Here, he's talking about how not only are you living stones, but you are also a royal priesthood, as if not only do do we together make up the temple, but we also are the priests in that temple. We're going to get into details in this. Verse uh, verse 6 says, "For For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This is talking about Jesus. He says, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Also, oh, Lord Jesus, would you be with us? Give us an understanding of what you are teaching here. So what, what 
Peter is saying here is that every one of us is a priest. Every person who is a believer is a priest in the kingdom of God. So quite simply, if you have trusted Jesus, last week we talked about Romans 10, 9, and what it means to trust that you believe that he died for your sins, rose from the dead, and you declare him the Lord of your life. If you have done that, then you are a priest, whether you knew it or not. Uh, In addition, if you have done this, if you have proclaimed Jesus, you've trusted him, then you are a stone in his temple. And we see this description of him as the chief cornerstone. He is the foundation in which all of us are being built into this temple of God. It's pretty profound. There are some pretty implications here in 1 Peter, uh, here in 2.5a, he talks about you yourselves like living stones, being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood. Very cool, you guys are following along. But I think we have to have an understanding of what a priest is in order to understand what it is you're supposed to do as one. So in, uh, in the Old Testament and even throughout the New Testament, there was this understanding of a priest being a mediator who stands between God and men. In the New Testament, we see Jesus described as our high priest, and there is this priesthood in which we are serving underneath him. Cool? Everybody with me so far? Good. There is a definite sense in which the priest has this task of bringing Jesus to humanity and bringing people before God. That there is this kind of dual role that my job as a priest is to make sure that you meet Jesus and that you're brought before him. So put these two things together. If I am the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we together are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we are also priests, that means I have a task to fulfill as priest everywhere I go because the temple is going with me because I am the temple. Is this making sense? It is like you are a spiritual turtle, and the house of God is your shell going everywhere you go. That's a terrible illustration. (laughs) Terrible, terrible illustration. So if you can imagine, though, you have a task everywhere you go because it's not like you come into a building and say, well, now I'm in the temple and I'm going to do this priestly work. Or worse, now I'm in the temple and we've got a pastor up there and a worship leader and they're doing the priestly work. No, no, no. Not only are you to be doing the priestly work when we come together, but you are to be doing the priestly work wherever you go because the temple is wherever you are. Are you with me? Yeah. This is huge, by the way. Like, this is earth-shatteringly huge. Because when we see the crucifixion of Jesus and the veil that is rent in two, torn in two, that was separating the Holy of Holies from the rest, all of a sudden, there didn't need to be some guy who has to get all taken care of and perfect and ready to go, and then he alone walks before God and stands before God. Now, all of us who know Jesus get to stand before God as his priests. This It is a game-changing moment in the history of humanity when Jesus paid our debt and he allowed that veil to be rent in two that separates humanity from God. And he says, "Now, now we are together and now you are my priest and your job is to bring me to everybody who doesn't know me. Cool? All right. The implications are huge. I hope that you are, you're getting with me. But you can understand then that that means, okay, if I'm a priest everywhere I go, well, I have priestly duties everywhere I go, which I think is really wonderful, especially when we consider Nacho Libre. Um, you guys seen Nacho Libre where he's like, he always gets given like the worst things. He's like, he's like maybe I'm not meant for these duties. Um, anyway, it's great. I'll just move on. But if you haven't seen Nacho Libre, it's profound. Uh, an, an unrelated side note, my favorite quote from Nacho Libre, where he's like, the brothers, they think I don't know a buttload of crap about the gospel, but I do. Um, 
So I used to say that when, I was, when I've been on staff at other churches. I'm like, these guys think I don't know a buttload of crap about the gospel, but I do. Anyway, it's great. Um, and I said buttload of crap in a sermon um, <laughs> twice. Only, only uh, yeah, only now is that coming to me. Anyway, so I want us to talk a little bit about the roles of a priest. Two things that we see here in 1 Peter 2. Uh, he says that we're to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. How interesting. He says that those sacrifices are through Jesus Christ. You are not doing anything. that it, You're not sacrificing goats. You're not doing some cool thing that pays for a debt. Jesus already paid that debt. He is the one true sacrifice. So anything that you do is a spiritual sacrifice that is ultimately going through him. Making sense? Cool. Um, this is very important. He says, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then later on in verse 9, he says, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. So these two roles for you as a priest are to make spiritual sacrifices and to proclaim the greatness of God who has saved you. Pretty simple. That is all you are to do. So when we start talking about making disciples... And like last week, I talked about how you're supposed to be sent out. And I actually sent you out. I was like, in case nobody did this to you, go and make disciples. Now you're without excuse. Go and proclaim the gospel. And I pushed that hard, right? Well, understanding that as I go, then I have two primary tasks of the priest of God. I am to make spiritual sacrifices and proclaim the gospel. So I think in order for us to understand what it means to make spiritual sacrifices, we need this kind of a primer on what the Old Testament priests did. Um, so there was this concept in the Old Testament, and that continues through the New Testament, of atonement. Anybody know what atonement means? As the ice rolls up? It means covering, right? There is this, it is linked to this idea of a payment has been made to cover for my debt, Right? And in the Old Testament, uh, we would have, and I'm going to use this, this term loosely so that we understand, but we have a sinner who comes forth and says, I know that I have sinned. This head of the household comes representing all of the sin for his house, and he brings a sacrifice. Now, there were details on what kind of sacrifice for what things, but if you can imagine, often you're bringing a lamb. And so this sinner brings a lamb as a representative for his family, and there was a task of that sinning head of household to put his hand on the lamb or the goat or whatever it was to represent the transference of his sin and his household sin onto that lamb. So now all of the sin has been put on that lamb, and this is representative of something much more important related to Jesus later on. And then the role of the priest would be, as best as we can understand Levitical law, would be to hold on to the lamb, because this is on this day where everybody's sacrificing lambs. There's blood everywhere. The lamb has probably heard what's been going on. He doesn't want to be in this place. And so the priest grabs onto the lamb, holding onto it in like a wrestling move, probably on his knees, holding onto it. And the sinner who has put his hand on this lamb and has transferred all of his sin over it, takes this implement and slays the lamb and allows its blood to leak out The priest then sprinkles blood on the altar. He cooks some of the meat. He burns some of the meat. It's pretty graphic. And it's a pretty gruesome thing to say like, hey, this lamb is taking on my sin and is being punished in my place. Now, nothing magic about lambs or anything like that. It's a representative of what was to come. It was an act of obedience of what was to come in Jesus. 
And the message is, listen, your sin costs something. Somebody has to cover for it. But somebody else is going to have to cover it. It's not going to be you. Because you could never pay this debt. And throughout the Old Testament, there's this idea of atonement that's being built up. And there's this very important role of the priest to hold on to the lamb. Everybody with me? Cool. All right. So, as we bring this concept into the New Testament, it's very important that you understand that your job as a priest in God's kingdom is to hold on to the sacrificial lamb that is Jesus. That you are holding on to him. You are bringing him to those who don't know him. And you are communicating the idea to everyone that this lamb already paid your debt. He already bled for you. He already stood in your place. He has atoned for you. And my job as priest is to make sure that you meet him. And I'm going to bring him before you. And I'm going to bring you before him. And I'm going to arrange this meeting because he's the one that does all the work. Making sense? Your job as a priest then in offering up spiritual sacrifices is to bring people to Jesus and bring Jesus to people. It's pretty simple. You don't have to be a theological expert. You just bring Jesus everywhere you go. Cool? Everybody with me? Anybody think this is completely nuts? All right, if you think it's completely nuts, you're going to have to take it up with Peter when we get to heaven. It's great. So I'm going to, uh, even still, I think it's hard for us to understand fully this concept of spiritual sacrifices. Like, all right, let's make it really practical. Well, throughout the New Testament, there's all kinds of language related to sacrifice. Um, in Romans 12.1, uh, Paul talks about how we are to be a living sacrifice. That I myself am giving myself up for God, and my whole life is his. And so... If I'm doing that and I'm committing myself completely to him, then everything I do is a sacrifice. That my own life is a sacrifice to him. That's a spiritual act of worship, as we see there. Um, And also we see in Colossians where every word and every action is to be done to God's glory. As if everything you do is an act of worship, that itself is a type of spiritual sacrifice. In Hebrews, it talks about offering up a sacrifice of praise. So like right here this morning, Joe led us in worship. That is a sacrifice of praise. When I praise God for who he is and his greatness, I'm offering up a sacrifice of praise. When I give resources to meet needs, that is a form of spiritual sacrifice where I'm giving to meet someone's needs. That is a spiritual act of worship. It's a spiritual sacrifice. Uh, In Hebrews 13, it talks about doing good and sharing with one another. So simply when I'm just caring for my brothers and sisters in Christ and we're ministering together, that is a spiritual sacrifice. Hosea 6.6 talks about love and relationship being honorable sacrifices. So when I'm building relationships with lost people and with believers, that is spiritual sacrifice. Because I am a priest in God's kingdom, if I have even so simple a conversation about how your day was, that can be a spiritual sacrifice. I hope you're getting that what we're getting at is that everything you do should be something brought to God's glory, but it only works as if you do it as you do it through Christ as we saw. So my spiritual sacrifice is when I do anything in the name of Jesus, anything that I bring Jesus into. Cool? So we're going to get into more detail here. He also talks about sacrifice of broken spirit. It's huge stuff. So this is where he gets it. to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Everything you do when done in Christ is a spiritual sacrifice. So uh, another wonderful Nacho Libre quote where he's like, everything you said is my favorite thing to do every day. Um, Hopefully there is a very good sense in which if I am becoming more and more like Christ, then the things that I do that are done in glory to God really should be an enjoyable thing. Although sometimes it's kind of painful. We'll get into that later on. So if we can just kind of review roles of a priest, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to offer up spiritual sacrifices, and I'm going to proclaim 
the greatness of God. 1 Peter 2, 9b, again, says, Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So if part of what I'm doing is offering up spiritual sacrifices, another part is I'm proclaiming the greatness of God who saved me, that I am telling my salvation story and sharing the gospel. This is where we've talked many times about Acts 1, 8, where he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth that I have a role to proclaim the greatness of God. And that is not just something that I do as a messenger, although that's huge, but that God has given me a priestly duty, that I have a job, I have a task, I have a role of ministry, and I'm proclaiming his greatness for saving me and putting me in this position. So this is where it gets maybe even more huge. Because I have a task to hold on to Jesus and bring him to people around me. Uh, I often in ministry have conversations with people and say, man, you've got to go make disciples. And I, I, I feel sometimes like I'm beating this dead horse because every time we get together, I talk about making disciples. I have biblical justification for this because in Hebrews, when it talks about us not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, it says that we're to meet to talk about how we can spur one another onto good works. So when we get together, what I'm trying to do is spur you on to the good work of making disciples, the one big thing Jesus told me to do. So every time we get together, I'm like, hey, let's make disciples. Every time I write a book, I'm like, hey, let's make disciples. Every time I write a book, workbook for a training I'm going to do, it's like, hey, let's make disciples. Every time I'm hanging out with somebody uh, for a prayer walk or for a discipleship group over a brew kettle or when we're prayer walking in Lorraine or prayer walking in Elyria, I'm like, hey, let's make disciples. Will you come with me to make disciples? And everything I'm doing when we get together is to admonish you to this one tasks. But as I admonish, I know that many of us are like, oh, for crying out loud, it just seems so huge. Because if you've been in this place where you're offering up spiritual sacrifices and you're interacting with people, their needs are far beyond anything you can meet. Like when you talk to somebody who is stuck in addiction and they talk about what they're going through, nothing you can do. There is just nothing. You can't give them some advice. You can't give them a nice song. Even the reading of Scripture, as powerful as it is, doesn't just fix the problem for them. All you can do is be the priest who holds on to the Lamb with them. All you can do is bring Jesus before them. So also when you're talking to somebody and they're going through great loss and they're grieving and they're hurting, or maybe it's a need, maybe it's a financial need or an emotional need or something else, you can't fix it. You are not a doctor. You are a priest. Your job is simply to bring Jesus before them and to hold on to the Lamb of God and say, I can't fix any of this, but I can bring Jesus into it. So we're going to talk really, really specific then because we need to talk about practical priesthood here. Because I think that we can very easily be like, yeah, I'm a priest, cool, let's think about that. Uh, I'm going to just get really super specific. So tomorrow, when you go to work, or this afternoon when you meet with family, and you come across a need they have that's representing their brokenness or their loss, if you are not, by the way, if you are not ever interacting with somebody in such a way to know what hurts and needs they have, then you must be in a hole somewhere. People are broken and we know it. You can be a priest by bringing Jesus into the situation. So prayer is one spiritual act of sacrifice we can bring up. Let me give you an example. Uh, so we get to use this Nordson Depot place. It's a wonderful place. Uh, Nordson gives us this for free once a month. 
Uh, I go in to pick up the key from a woman named Nancy, who is the receptionist in there. And she is a sweetheart. She's super organized. She's one of those ladies with like the head, headphones. And there's multiple calls coming in. And she's talking to the people there and on the phone. And she's amazing. I, the organizational level is just incredible. And I go in there one day to pick up the key. And, uh, and I'm like, hey, how are you doing? And I mean it, right? And so Nancy says, you know what? I'm, I'm, at, I'm, I'm doing okay, but I'm honestly kind of stressed. Uh, I found out my dad fell and he's hurt. And I'm like, okay, would you mind if I just prayed for him right now? Right? So here's the thing. I ask how people are doing. I listen when they, when they tell me how. And then I say, hey, do you mind if I bring Jesus into this by praying? And so all I did right there is say, well, Lord Jesus, um, I just want to lift up. I asked her dad's name, and I want to lift up. Uh, I want to lift, and I said his name. I'm like, oh, Lord, I just want to lift him up before you. You are the great healer. Would you step into this situation? This is part of my prayer often. I'm like, Jesus, will you enter into this situation? Will you do the work that you want to do? And would you get the glory for it when you do? Very important, because I'm not saying, Lord, would you help me to find a way to fix this? I say, Jesus, will you enter in? Sometimes Jesus will tell me something to do, and I'm going to do that too, right? But I'm inviting him in and letting the person know that this is a work of Jesus and that he needs to get the glory when he comes through on it, right? So you know what I do the next time I go to pick up a key? Or sometimes during the month, I'll call up and be like, hey, Nancy, hey, thanks, it was great using the key. Thank you guys for letting us use the building. How's your dad doing? And she says, oh, man, he's doing really good. He's at home. God's really taking care of him. I'm like, yeah, that's right, he is. Remember, we prayed. That was a priestly work that it didn't take theological knowledge to do. You get to do that. So I'm going to just get you thinking about it. Okay, so when you come across a need with somebody there, you can say, hey, would you mind if I pray right now? And all you're doing is saying, Jesus, will you just come into this situation? That's holding on to the Lamb of God for that person in front of them. Uh, also, listening is inviting Jesus into a situation when somebody's telling their hurt. It is an act of service to just listen to them talk. God is glorified in that. You are operating as a priest. It's a good thing. The other thing is simply building relationships. We saw even uh, in Hosea, I believe, where it talks about how me just living in relationship and love itself brings glory to God. Uh, so me building relationships both with believers and non-believers alike is a spiritual act of worship. So I'm going to get really specific. Um, we want to do this thing for neighboring. Uh, I've talked a little bit about the book Art of Neighboring. Uh, there's also kind of scripture where it talks about how we're supposed to be a neighbor. Um, so I just want to offer up, uh, we're doing this thing throughout the spring and summer where we want to have like neighborhood cookouts. If you will let me know a date, I'm recommending a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, uh, I will help you plan this. And so the idea is that you get little pieces of paper and you say, hey, do you want to bring a dessert or a main dish or a side dish or whatever? And then you go and offer up that piece of paper to all of your neighbors. Say, hey, we're going to have a neighborhood cookout. You want to bring something? Um, if they're not there, have a little place where they can email you right, at the bottom, and then mention the day and then just have a cookout. Here's what we'll do. We will come and run the grill for you. The rest of the church will come alongside you and help support you as you build relationships with your neighbors. And natural conversations will happen. We will be running the cooler and putting the food out, and we'll maybe make some friends too, but the whole point would be for us to support you as you, you become a neighbor to the people around you. This is huge, by the way. Christy and I did this in our last neighborhood. Two things happened. One, we got a contact list for everybody there. So when there was like a need in the community or when we wanted to say like start a neighborhood Bible study, we had contact info. The second thing is it established us as leaders in the community. And they understood that we love Jesus and that was why we were doing this. 
And it led very quickly to some wonderful ministry opportunities. In fact, there's somebody in the neighborhood that I'll, I'll see him out. He's still, we don't even live in that neighborhood anymore, but he still sometimes seeks me out for ministry. Let me just tell you, this is huge. This is one way that we can fulfill the kingdom of God. We're doing some Luke 10 work in there, and it might kind of naturally lean into this, oh, hey, we're going to do this get-together on like Wednesday nights. We're going to come and you're going to get together and have a little Bible study, talk a little bit. This is part of how we are priests in our neighborhood. Are you guys up for this? So somebody's already signed up for June 12th. So uh, that one's taken. Would you email me? Would you talk to me? We'll get it on there, and we will gather as a church to support in whatever you do. I would love to do one in like every neighborhood we're in, right? And, and by the way, we don't have to like have some really super organized house church to plant there. It could be that like natural relationships get going, and you can say, hey, how about, how about on this day we're going to do this cookout? And then, um, hey, later throughout the week, you guys want to come over and hang out some more? And then you just, you just gospel them, man. Like, they don't realize that they're hanging out with a priest in God's kingdom. They can't get away from him because he's with you and you are the temple of God. So when they meet with you, they are entering into the temple of God and you are bringing Jesus to them and something powerful and huge happens. Yeah, oh, I'll, get, I'll get pumped. So let's read on. Uh, the other thing, serving the needs of people around you while praying for them. So this is also, we talk about serving and how ministry happens out of that, that you are a priest when you serve someone. When you pick up trash in your neighborhood, or when you meet a need, or when you drop by and say, hey, I'll take care of your kids this week so you guys can go out. When you do something like that, you're serving, right? When you, when you say, hey, man, um, I know your lawnmower is broken. I'll mow your grass this week. You are serving. That is an act of worship. It's not a small thing. You are bringing Jesus into that situation, and it's huge. So we're going to give you some really great opportunities for that, too. It doesn't have to be planned, by the way, but I've got some, we've got some things planned, and it's weaving in really well to this sermon, so I'm just going to like get really specific. Uh, Saturday, uh, I have some friends who are church planting in Cleveland in Miles Landing. It's kind of a project. It's kind of in a rough situation. Um, many people from our district are going to get together for this Renew the City thing. We're going to pick up trash on Saturday morning. Uh, if you want to join in for that, you can go to renewthecity.org. Um, it actually, for like 25 bucks, it covers your meal and a T-shirt. And we're going to go bring Jesus into that neighborhood and help those church planters that are there. Would love it if you came along for that. Uh, but even beyond that, because that's like missionary serving, uh, here on the 14th of May, it is the 14th, right? 14th of May. We're going to do like city cleanup. We're going to prayer walk and pick up Amherst. And actually, if you're in another town and you want to do this, we'll support you in that. Um, but we're going to pick up trash. We're going to clean up the community. We're going to do great things. And we're going to prayer walk everywhere we go so that we're bringing Jesus. Every time I pick up a piece of trash, it's to God's glory. And I'm praying, Jesus, would your kingdom come and would your will be done on this spot as it is in heaven? And would your kingdom come and will be done at that house as it is in heaven? And we pray the kingdom of God to show up. And by the way, since Jesus is your king, everywhere you walk is his kingdom in some sense. And he is going to bring it fuller than ever. And so you pray and you walk and you declare his lordship and God does incredible things. I'm getting pumped, you guys. Um, so other things, practical priesthood, worship God in everything you do, no matter how seemingly insignificant the task. Uh, I've used this story a few times, but, um, back when I was, before I was on staff at a church, I was in between staff positions and I'm finding myself moving furniture for a living. Um, I had like a master's in philosophical theology and I'm like, what the heck am I doing here? I didn't go to school for this, um, but Jesus is like, yeah, but this is your school. You need to learn to be a servant because that's a lot more important than any knowledge that you have. 
And I remember one day, I'm reading this book uh, by Brother Lawrence called The Practice of the Presence of God, where we think about the fact that Jesus is here and I'm glorifying him in everything I do. And so one day, I'm taking off this big box of styrofoam peanuts, and I'm taking it to the dumpster, and it's a windy day. (laughs) And the dumpster was mostly empty, and I'm trying to open up this thing. And so I, I'd go to, to put the thing in there. It wasn't tape shut or anything. The wind blows, and these styrofoam peanuts go everywhere. And I'm like, God, what the heck? What does this have to do with anything? Why am I here? I am trained to make disciples, and I should be preaching, and I should be in one of those big churches with the fancy screens and the cool sound system. Come on. And Jesus is like, you are right where I want you to be. And every styrofoam peanut you pick up can be to my, my glory. And so I have, to, I have to ask this question. Am I more concerned with Jesus' glory or with mine? And if I'm more concerned with Jesus' glory, and he has called me right there to pick up styrofoam peanuts, then every one of them is an act of worship to my Savior. And I picked them up. It took me more time than I wanted to, but I picked them up to God's glory. Everything you do to, can be an act of worship. And I am finding more and more that God seems to put his people in situations that they don't want to be in so they can learn how to serve as he did. Let me tell you, if Jesus is our king and he came as a servant, what do you expect his citizens to do but serve? And if you are a servant and if you are a citizen of God's kingdom, you are a servant. You serve the king of servants. Cool. All right. So other things we can do is proclaim the gospel that we've talked about. I hope you know that this is huge because I talk about it like every week and pretty much every day. Tell your gospel story. Share the gospel. Romans 6.23, Romans 10.9 are really good ones to use. Use whatever you want. The whole Bible is about the atoning work of Jesus, but huge. The other thing is baptizing new believers. Uh, In case you were mistaken, um, I'm not any more a priest than you are. I don't have to be the guy baptizing people. In fact, I love it when whoever leads somebody to the Lord or who is, who is instrumental in bringing that person to Jesus, who is instrumental in bringing, being their priest, right, bringing Jesus before them and clinging to the Lamb of God before them, I like when whoever that was says, hey, I'll baptize you. Yeah? Pretty cool. So um, I'm just, I didn't plan our announcements this way. Uh, it just so happened that this morning, I'm, I'm like, man, how am I going to get these announcements? And I realized that they are perfectly fitting with my sermon. So um, on May 29th, I just kind of picked this date because I figured it would be warm enough. We're going to go to Lakeview Park, and we're going to baptize people, okay? So let me just tell you, it's way cooler doing baptisms outside in public because that's what they did in the first century most of the time. Um, hopefully it's not as cold as it is right now. If so, I'll bring a hatchet and an axe. We'll cut through the ice. We'll dunk people. It'll be perfect. It'll be polar bear baptisms. Um, but here's what I would like for you to do. If you have not been baptized... Come out on May 29th, we'll baptize you. If you have somebody that you are sharing the gospel with and you know they're getting close, invite them to May 29th, either to watch or to get baptized. Baptism is itself a line in the sand, and I have found every time we planned baptisms, people come out of the woodwork and say, i got to get baptized too, so we're going to do some baptisms. Um, May 29th, put it on your calendar, 5 p.m. It's a Sunday afternoon. We're going to get together at the park. We're going to baptize. People are going to see us do it. They're going to be like, those are some weird freaks over there. And we're going to be like, yeah, and Jesus is wonderful, and we are bringing him right now. Guess what? I'm his priest, and you get to meet him right now because I'm hanging out, and I'm going to introduce you. Um, God does great things in that. Cool? May 29th, awesome. Uh, The very last thing I would say here is simply living humbly with God. When I make Jesus part of everything, and not just in the sense of me bringing him, but 
I'm with if, if I am bringing him to everybody, he is with me all the time. Be aware of that. In John 15, we talk about John 15 a lot. Jesus says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Abiding in Jesus is simply remembering the reality that he is already right there. And I would say that the best thing you can do as a priest is simply be your own priest and bring Jesus into your life at every moment. Cool? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take some time and do some practical discussion and application. Um, uh, Good news. You have priests at your table that can talk to you and minister to you. So in, in, in this time that when we talk about, like, everybody has a ministry when they come together, would you maybe share a need that you have? Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's a spiritual need. Maybe it's a loss you're going through. Would you share it? And would you who are with, at the table with that person bring Jesus into the situation? This is excellent practice. So maybe you have a hurt. Would you share that hurt? And would somebody say, all right, well, can I pray? And you just pray. Maybe you lay hands on that person, and you invite Jesus into that need. You guys feel like you can do that? Yes? Good. I have some heads shaking. Cool. So let's do a little bit of that. And maybe uh, go beyond that and start discussing the needs of the people in your life. Um, maybe, uh, maybe somebody that's hurting around you that you're like, I need to bring Jesus to this person. Would you guys help me as I'm bringing it? Would you pray with me? And then maybe could you just proclaim the greatness of God in saving you? Uh, maybe people at your table haven't heard your salvation story. Maybe you give like the little five-minute or maybe 30-second Reader's Digest version where you say, hey, man, maybe you guys didn't know this, but this is how he saved me. You are going to be priesting. It's probably not a word, but I like it. You're going to be doing the actions of a priest at your table right now. If there's not many people at your table, um, then gather around with another table, merge everybody together. Is everybody in for this? Good. I like it. Dear Lord Jesus, uh, we are desperate for you. Uh, I am thinking right now of how, how little I have even stood of this, understood of this role of being your priest. Jesus, would you make us bold? Would you give us a profound understanding of your presence, of the power of your spirit in us, and the fact that it is quite simple. All we are doing is clinging to you and bringing you everywhere we go. God, help us to understand that. Help us not to get tripped up on the deception of the enemy that would make us think that we have to learn a whole bunch of things or practice a whole bunch of things before we can get started. God, help us to simply remember the simplicity of your presence in your gospel. So, Jesus, may we think about this, think about you, and do the work. Be with us right now in Christ's name. Amen.